Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. WPHD-WPHD-HD-WOGL HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. Yes. This is the next generation of talk. Now on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD, Rich Zioli. Your kids are learning how to blow up oil pipelines. That's right. Yes, colleges, the bastion of liberal indoctrination or illiberal indoctrination. How to blow up a pipeline. Plus, the guy was ostracized at the New York Times because he eats a Chick-fil-A. Kid you not. And um, is a breakup coming with Ukraine? Hmm. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. First of all, this um, this story about the New York Times, a big expose they did on the CIA being in Ukraine. It was published um, on February 25th, but it was the spy war, how the CIA secretly helps Ukraine fight Putin. And as Matt Taibbi points out in his uh, latest post, This New York Times expose outs years of unsavory details about the Ukraine's relationship with the Central Intelligence Agency. While Ukrainian spy chief swats down U.S. messaging. Is a breakup at hand? Is this a pre-divorce kind of a conversation? Is Taibbi's question. Over the weekend, the New York Times published an epic expose, The Spy War, How the CIA Secretly Helps Ukraine Fight Putin. It described a decade of CIA-Ukrainian cooperation uh, featuring details that would never reach public ears under normal circumstances. The opening is worth quoting at length. Let me share that with you. Nestled in a dense forest, the Ukrainian military base appears abandoned and destroyed. But that is above ground. Not far away, a discreet passageway descends to a subterranean bunker where teams of Ukrainian soldiers track Russian spy satellites and eavesdrop on conversations between Russian commanders. The listening post in the Ukrainian forest is part of a CIA-supported network of spy bases constructed in the past eight years that includes 12 secret locations along the Russian border. As Matt Taibbi points out, yowza! Officials have long scolded the public that even minor disclosures of sources and methods could risk lives and must be prevented 
at all costs. Yet here comes the New York Times helping current and former officials in Ukraine, the United States and Europe. They blab a long list of extraordinary details down to the number of CIA-supported secret bases along the Russian border and a bridge list of revelations that would make you think, wow, aren't you possibly now giving away the store here? 110% said a top Ukrainian intelligence uh, commander who said the CIA is behind all these bases. Now entering the third war year of a war that has claimed hundreds of thousands of lives, the intelligence partnership between Washington and Kiev is a linchpin of Ukraine's ability to defend itself. The CIA and other American intelligence agencies provide intelligence for targeted missile strikes, track Russian troop movements, and help support spy networks. But the partnership is no wartime creation, nor is Ukraine the only beneficiary. And the article goes on to say that... <clears throat> The um, listening post started around 2016 when the CIA began training an elite Ukrainian commando force known as Unit 2245, which captured Russian drones and communications gear so that CIA technicians could reverse engineer them and crack Moscow's encryption systems. One officer in the unit was Kiro Budunov, now the general leading Ukraine's military intelligence. The Times goes on to say the CIA also helped train a new generation of Ukrainian spies who operated inside Russia, across Europe, and in Cuba, and other places where the Russians have a large presence. The relationship is so ingrained that CIA officers remained at a, rem- at a remote, remote location in western Ukraine when the Biden administration evacuated U.S. personnel in the weeks before Russia invaded in February of 2022. During the invasion, the officers relayed critical intelligence, including where Russia was planning strikes and which weapon systems they would use. Without them, there would have been no way for us to resist the Russians or to beat them, said the head of Ukraine's domestic intelligence agency, the SBU. The details of this intelligence partnership between the CIA and Ukraine, many of which are being disclosed by the New York Times for the first time, have been a closely guarded secret for a decade. So why is it coming out now? In more than 200 interviews, current and former officials in Ukraine, the United States and Europe describe a partnership that nearly foundered from mutual distrust before it steadily expanded. Turning Ukraine into an intelligence gathering hub that intercepted more Russian communications than the CIA station in Kiev could initially handle. Many of the officials spoke on condition of anonymity to discuss intelligence and matters of sensitive diplomacy. These intelligence networks are more important than ever as Russia is on the offensive and Ukraine is more dependent on sabotage and long-range missile strikes that require spies far behind enemy lines. And they are increasingly at risk. If Republicans in Congress end military funding to Kiev, the CIA may have to scale back. Now, do you think that maybe that's why all this is coming out? Because they want it to be very, very clear to everybody. You know, we have... American assets over there. And they uh, really do help us out. And we need to make sure that we maintain that presence there. So we got to make sure we win. So get Ukraine the money. Try to reassure Ukraine leaders. William J. Burns, the CIA director, made a secret visit to Ukraine last Thursday. His 10th visit since the invasion. 
From the outset, a shared adversary, President Vladimir Putin of Russia, brought the CIA and its Ukrainian partners together. Obsessed with losing Ukraine to the West, Mr. Putin had regularly interfered in Ukraine's political system. Handpicking leaders he believed would keep Ukraine within Russia's orbit, yet each time it backfired, driving protesters into the streets. Mr. Putin has long blamed Western intelligence agencies for manipulating Kiev and sowing anti-Russia sentiment in Ukraine. Well, isn't that what we've been doing? I mean, isn't that exactly what this New York Times article is proving? Isn't it kind of proving Putin's right? I had to double check that it was the New York Times, but it is the New York Times, the far right wing New York Times. Mr. Putin has long blamed Western intelligence agencies for manipulating Kiev and sowing anti-Russia sentiment in Ukraine. Toward the end of 2021, according to a senior European official, Mr. Putin was weighing whether to launch his full-scale invasion when he met with the head of one of Russia's main spy services, who told him that the CIA, together with Britain's MI6, were controlling Ukraine and turning it into a beachhead for operations against Moscow. But isn't that kind of what this article says we were doing? But the Times investigation found that Mr. Putin and his advisors misread a critical dynamic. The CIA didn't push its way into Ukraine. U.S. officials were often reluctant to fully engage, fearing that Ukrainian officials could not be trusted and worrying about provoking the Kremlin. Hmm. Yet a tight circle of Ukrainian intelligence officials assiduously courted the CIA and gradually made themselves vital to the Americans. In 2015, General Kondratuik, I don't know if I'm saying that right, then Ukraine's head of military intelligence arrived at a meeting with the CIA's deputy station chief and without warning handed over a stack of top secret files. That initial tranche contained secrets about the Russian Navy's northern fleet, including detailed information about the latest Russian nuclear submarine designs. Before long, teams of CIA officers were regularly leaving his office with backpacks full of documents. As the partnership deepened after 2016, the Ukrainians became impatient with what they considered Washington's undue caution and began staging assassinations and other lethal operations, which violated the terms the White House thought the Ukrainians had agreed to. Infuriated, officials in Washington threatened to cut off support, but they never did. The relationship only got stronger and stronger because both sides saw value in it. And the United States Embassy in Kiev, our station there, the operation out of Ukraine became the best source of information, signals, and everything else on Russia, said a former senior American official. We couldn't get enough of it. And then they go into the untold story of how it all happened. And it's a very long article, and I, 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 do, I obviously can't <laughs> get into all the details now. But a couple takeaways here. What's really interesting is that the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States has been deeply involved in Ukraine since the mid-2015-16 time frame around that. And they actually had a program called Operation Goldfish, which derived from a joke about a Russian-speaking goldfish who offers two Estonians wishes in exchange for its freedom. This was their training program to teach Ukrainian intelligence officers how to convincingly assume fake personas and steal secrets in Russia and other countries that are adept at rooting out spies. The punchline of this Russian goldfish joke was that one of the Estonians bashed the fish's head in with a rock, explaining that anything speaking Russian could not be trusted. 
The Operation Goldfish officers were soon deployed to 12 newly built forward operating bases constructed along the Russian border. From each base, the general said, the Ukrainian officers ran networks of agents who gathered intelligence inside Russia. CIA officers installed equipment at the bases to help gather intelligence and also identified some of the most skilled Ukrainian graduates of the Operation Goldfish training program. Working with them to approach potential Russian sources. These graduates then trained sleeper agents on Ukrainian territory meant to launch guerrilla operations in case of occupation. It can often take years for the CIA to develop enough trust in a foreign agency to begin conducting joint operations. With the Ukrainians, it had taken less than six months. The new partnership started producing so much raw intelligence about Russia that it had had to be shipped to Langley for processing. But the CIA did have some red lines. It wouldn't help the Ukrainians conduct offensive lethal operations. We made a distinction between intelligence collection operations and things that go boom, said a former senior U.S. official. But the general was annoyed when the Americans refused to provide satellite images from inside Russia. Soon after, he requested CIA assistance in planning a clandestine mission to send HUR commandos into Russia to plant explosive devices at train depots used by Russian military. If the Russian military sought to take more Ukrainian territory, Ukrainians could detonate the explosives to slow the Russian advance. When the station chief briefed his superiors, they lost their minds, as one official put it. John Brennan, the CIA director at the time, called the general to make certain that the mission was canceled and that Ukraine abide by the red lines forbidding lethal operations. So the general canceled the mission to go into Russia and start planting all these explosive devices. But he also took a different lesson. He said, going forward, we work to not have decisions about these things with your guys. Later that summer, Ukrainian spies discovered that Russian forces were deploying attack helicopters at an airfield on the Russian-occupied Crimean Peninsula, probably to stage a surprise attack. The general decided to send a team into Crimea to plant explosives at the airfield so they could be detonated if Russia moved to attack. This time, he did not ask the CIA for permission. He turned to Unit 2245, the commando force that received specialized military training from the CIA's elite paramilitary group known as the Ground Department. The intent of the training was to teach defensive techniques, but CIA officers understood that without their knowledge, the Ukrainians could use the same techniques in offensive lethal operations. This is all back in 2016. At the time, the future head of Ukraine's military intelligence agency, General Budinov, was a rising star in that unit. He was known for daring operations behind enemy lines and had deep ties to the CIA. The agency had trained him and had also taken the extraordinary step of sending him for rehabilitation to Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Maryland after he was shot in the right arm during fighting in the Donbass. Disguised in Russian uniforms, then-Lieutenant Colonel Budinov led commandos across a narrow gulf in inflatable speedboats landing at night in Crimea. But an elite Russian commando unit was waiting for them. The Ukrainians fought back, killing several Russian fighters, including the son of a general, before retreating to the shoreline, plunging into the sea and swimming for hours to Ukrainian-controlled territory. It was a disaster. In a public address, President Putin accused the Ukrainians of plotting a terrorist attack and promised to avenge the deaths of the Russian fighters. 
There is no doubt we will let we will not let these things pass. In Washington, the Obama White House was livid. President Joseph R. Biden Jr., then vice president and a champion of assistance to Ukraine, called Ukraine's president to angrily complain. It causes a gigantic problem, Mr. Biden said it in the call, a recording of which was leaked and published online. All I'm telling you as a friend is that my making arguments here is a hell of a lot harder now. And guess what? Obama's people wanted to shut down this secret CIA program in Ukraine. Somebody persuaded them to keep going. Now, who do you think that might have been? Now, the New York Times, of course, doesn't say this, but there was massive blowback in Washington. This is 2016. Want to make a bet? See, now, the article says it was John Brennan. It was a CIA director who was telling them that if you shut down all these CIA bases, uh, it's going to be counterproductive. We're going to be losing out here on these things. We're going to be losing out. There was massive blowback from Washington, but Ukraine did not back down. Ukraine kept going. A mysterious explosion in the Russian-occupied city of Donetsk in eastern Ukraine, ripped through an elevator carrying a senior Russian separatist commander named Arsen Pavlov, known by his nom de guerre Motorola. The CIA soon learned that the assassins were members of the Fifth Directorate, the spy group that received CIA training. Ukraine's domestic intelligence agency had even handed out commemorative patches to those involved, each one stitched with the word lift, which is the British term for an elevator. Biden's advisors, excuse me, Obama's advisors were furious, but they were lame ducks. The presidential election pitting Donald J. Trump against Hillary Clinton was three weeks away, and the assassinations against the Russians continued. A team of Ukrainian agents set up an unmanned, shoulder-fired rocket launcher in a building in the occupied territories. It was directly across from the office of a rebel commander named Mikhail Tolsik, better known as Givi. Using a remote trigger, they fired the launcher as soon as he entered the office, killing him, according to U.S. and Ukrainian officials. A shadow war was now in overdrive. The Russians used a car bomb to assassinate the head of the special unit in Ukraine. And uh, that guy, when he was killed, was on his way to a meeting with CIA officers in Kiev. And what's really interesting about this is that Somebody in the Obama White House got this program to keep going despite the fact that Washington was furious and wanted to shut it down. I don't, I mean, I'm just saying, if you want to be a conspiracy person, A, you'd have to say to yourself, if you had said a couple months ago that the CIA was operating so deep in Ukraine all these years during the Obama administration, in, in, uh, up to and including now, you would have been called a nut, right? They would have told you you were crazy. You're, you're making up things. How can you say that our CIA is involved in Ukraine politically and why would they do that? Blah, 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 blah. Well, now we know it's true because the New York Times tells us it's true. But then you got to wonder who was the one who convinced the White House to continue this operation? My money's on Joe Biden. 
I mean, I don't call me crazy, but it seems like everywhere Biden goes with Ukraine, Ukraine seems to get what it wants. Doesn't that seem to be the case to you? Now, Donald Trump gets elected president, and even though he's apparently Putin's puppet, the program goes on. They write, Mr. Trump praised Mr. Putin and dismissed Russia's role in election interference because, of course, well, I'm being breaking from the article here for a moment. Russia didn't have a role in election interference other than some dumb Facebook ads. He was suspicious of Ukraine and later tried to pressure its president, Vladimir Zelensky, to investigate his Democrat rival, Mr. Biden, resulting in Mr. Trump's first impeachment. Now, let me rephrase that for The New York Times. Donald Trump wanted to get to the heart of Ukrainian corruption at which Joe Biden plays a very prominent role. For that, they shut it down, impeached Trump, even though Ukraine got the aid that Donald Trump told them that he would give them if they cooperated, and um, even gave them more money. And then he kept the program going. And they kept the CIA secret partnership going. In fact, they grew it, apparently, under Donald Trump and John Bolton and Mike Pompeo. I got to ask the obvious question here. If Donald Trump was a Russian plant, how come this program kept going? The base in the forest grew to include a new command center and barracks and swelled from 80 to 800 Ukrainian intelligence officers. Preventing Russia from interfering in future U.S. elections was a top CIA priority during this period. And Ukrainian and American intelligence officers joined forces to probe the computer systems of Russia's intelligence agencies to identify operatives trying to manipulate voters. In one joint operation, remember, this is under Trump now, an HUR team duped an officer from Russia's military intelligence service into providing information that allowed the CIA to connect Russia's government to the so-called Fancy Bear Hacking Group, which had been linked to election interference efforts in a number of countries. And then they kept going and going under Trump with all this. So why would a guy who is Putin's little puppet let this this secret partnership between the CIA and Ukraine continue to flourish. I don't know. I guess it doesn't really matter. The point is this. The publishing of this piece now is going to have major ramifications. The only question that I have, which is the same that question that Matt Taibbi has, is does this mean that the end is coming to the United States support for Ukraine? The answer to that, of course, is no, because there's too many people making money off this in the military-industrial complex. I want to wish a very, very happy birthday to my friend, Judith Krupnik. That's right. Today is Judith's birthday, and she is the absolute best. And I went to Cherry Hill Volvo today because I'm now driving an XC60. You know, I'm in the Care by Volvo lease program, which means every five months, I'm able to drive a new Volvo. And I have to tell you, after driving the XC40, the XC90, and the XC60, which I used to own, the XC60... Still my favorite. It really is. I love it. I love it the best. The XC90 is great because you get the third row with the kids. But I really love that XC60. Either way, whatever choice you make, you're going to have a great experience at Cherry Hill Volvo. And my friend Yosef wanted me to let you know, when you go to Cherry Hill Volvo, in honor of Judith's birthday, they're going to have a special, special uh, celebration for you. You tell them I sent you. And uh, they're going to get you the absolute best promotions and financing absolutely possible. Cherry Hill Volvo's on Route 70 in Cherry Hill. They are the region's most accessible Volvo dealership. Easy to get to, minutes over the bridge from anywhere you're coming to. 
and you'll love the experience. And the reason why I'm so happy to wish my friend Judith Krupnik a happy birthday is because we broadcast live from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios. And we love that partnership, and we love that friendship, and we're so honored by her support each and every day. So go by Cherry Hill Volvo and wish Judith a happy birthday. And maybe you'll want to drive the beautiful S-Class, the S60 courtesy car, which you can buy for less than $29,000, and it has less than 5,000 miles on it. And that car is built right in America at their plant in South Carolina. Cherry Hill Volvo is where relationships matter. Happy birthday, Judith. And thank you for standing with us at Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. We always treasure our partnership with you at Cherry Hill Volvo. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. The Zioli Show on your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. We got a lot to get to before uh, the show ends. Maybe we should go to eight. What do you think? Thoughts? Uh, am I getting paid overtime? Nope. Uh, am I? Yeah, I'm salaried. I'm not going to get anything extra. So no, we hard get nothing. pass. We get nothing, right? Um, you get nothing. You get nothing and like it. <laughs> Henry, I keep telling them they got to make you full time. You've earned it. Well, thank you. Um. Do you like the spicy chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A? Yeah, I, that's typically my go-to when I go there. Mine too. You, Matt DeSantis? Uh, of course. I like the, the deluxe, I should say. I don't go deluxe. I no, don't you don't go deluxe? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the tomato, I nah. don't need that. I don't uh, like, yeah, you know what? I don't like a refrigerated tomato as much as the next guy. Not me uh, neither. Tomatoes yeah. should never be refrigerated. Yeah, I agree. I, never. It's a sacrilege, in my opinion. It's grazia. Uh, so I... Remember 2016 at the Democrat National Convention in Philadelphia, where we were doing the show live. We were in afternoons back then. It was me and Dawn and Greg, and we were in afternoons. And Chick-fil-A had a booth at the Wells Fargo Center. And the line of people who were there to try to get chicken sandwiches was, I mean, it was the longest line of all the food vendors. Do, were you there for that? Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, I wasn't working for WPHT, but I was there. And uh, I remember waiting in that line. It took me 35, yeah. 40 minutes to get to the front. The hate chicken, as I called it. <laughs> because they were all, you know, boycotting Chick-fil-A and whining about Chick-fil-A. And the, so I, I, I referred to it jokingly as the hate chicken. 
And yet all these Democrats were lined up to order themselves some delicious hate chicken. Oh, man, I couldn't even get one. I got enough time to wait. We had quick breaks and I didn't have a chance to get a hate chicken sandwich. I had to wait. I love Chick-fil-A. Well, this guy used to work for the New York Times. He was an opinion editor. And they did a um, they did like a, one of those group things with the icebreaker things. And he was hired in 2019 to work in the opinion section as a research assistant. And they had an orientation for new hires, and he was asked to tell everybody his, his favorite sandwich. It was like an ice-breaking exercise. Like, hey, what's your favorite sandwich? And he said his favorite sandwich was the spicy chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A. And they <laughs> proceeded to take him to HR. The HR representative leading the orientation chided me, he said, Saying the human resources rep told him, we don't do that here. They hate gay people. And other time staffers at the orientation then started snapping their fingers in acclamation. Rubenstein tried to appease the crowd by saying, whoa, not the politics, the chicken. I like the chicken. But it was too late. I sat down ashamed, he wrote. And he took notes. He wrote this article in The Atlantic called, I was a heretic at the New York Times. So. There, there you go for being for eating the hate chicken. <laughs> I read that full article. Uh, what makes it even funnier is he's that Chick Fil A answer was actually him censoring his initial response because his favorite sandwich was actually nineteen dollars, and he thought that if he had mentioned that to the group, they would, uh, you know be uh, outraged that he would spend $19 on a sandwich, find it offensive. Right. Yeah, so then he went to his backup plan, which was Chick-fil-A. Turns out that's even worse. No, they would love the $19 sandwich because they're all a bunch of elitists over there. They're like, yeah. of course. How snooty is it that they're like snapping? Yeah, they're you know, snapping. Like, oh, go off, queen. Hey, yeah. <laughs> go off, queen. Uh, now, did you guys learn how to blow pipe bombs when you were in college? <laughs> what? I mean, uh, blow up uh, pipelines? No. <laughs> Yeah, no, I can't say I took that course in college, no. There are at least 16 universities right now that are promoting the book How to Blow Up a Pipeline, which outlines for readers how to commit eco-terrorism, oftentimes making it required reading, according to a Daily Wire investigation. The book was published in 2021 by Swedish professor Andre's mom and calls for the terrorism and overthrowing of capitalism, acknowledging that people will be killed as a result. Demolish them, burn them, blow them up, let the capitalists who keep investing in the fire know that their properties will be trashed. DeSantis, they didn't give you that book at orientation at Harvard? I figured they would. <laughs> no, that was not in the orientation packet. Interesting. Well, a number of different schools are now um, allowing people to read this eco-terrorism book and pretty much making it mandatory. So <laughs> the U.S. intelligence agencies uh, have identified the book as a developing threat. And security risk because mom encourages pipeline sabotage and property destruction. 23 government agencies, including the FBI, warned that the film adaptation of the book could spark terrorism. But a New York Times interviewer was taken aback at the willingness of the author to cause death. Quote, it's hard to think that deaths don't become inevitable if there is more sabotage. Sure, if you have a thousand pipeline explosions a year, if it takes on that extreme scale, but we are some distance from that. Unfortunately, the author said. Don't say, unfortunately, the interviewer interjected. Well, I want sabotage to happen on a much larger scale than it does now. I can't guarantee that it won't come with accidents, the author of the book said. He says he hasn't had the opportunity to blow up a pipeline personally, but that he would gladly participate if given the opportunity. 
If I were part of a group where something like blowing up a pipeline was perceived as a tactic that could be useful for our struggle, then I would gladly participate. I have engaged in as much militant climate activism as I've had access to and I've done things that I can't tell you or, (coughs) excuse me, or that I wouldn't tell others publicly. He trained his four-year-old son to be on the lookout for SUVs because the child knows these are bad cars. And he has an awareness of the tactic of deflating SUV tires. Now, is this nutbag on a watch list? It's my question. I go to Cabela's and buy a fishing hat, and they're freaking watching me. How about this lunatic? I would hope. You, you know what's you know what the worst part about that is? What's that? He doesn't even have any hands-on experience blowing up these pipelines, yet he's writing a book about it. I got a film adaptation. See that? Got a, he even got a movie out of yeah, it. Yeah, this guy's a fraud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Arizona State University required students to uh, Professor Mina Souks, Our Humans Special Environmental Theory, to read the book, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. The University of California, San Diego, required it in a class taught by Professor of Environmental Physics, Brad Werner, which is called The Intersectional Struggles for Environmental Justice. In the city of New York's uh, CUNY, a professor there required his students to read it as part of a course called Politics and Human Survival, which persuaded students that without radical action, everyone could die a terrible death. (laughs) Students were also required to read Revolutionary Suicide by Black Panthers member Huey Newton, who was accused of murder and rape. And um, one of these guys wrote a paper called What Level of Resistance to Air Pollution is Justified? On violence and self-defense. The University of Washington required it in special topics and rights, where Professor of Political Science Jamie Mayerford asks, does capitalism help or hinder responsible climate policy? Is socialism a better way? On the syllabus under the heading, what should activists do? The answer is how to blow up a pipeline. Only four other books are required. One is how to be an anti-capitalist in the 21st century. And another is a planet to win the case for a Green New Deal. At Illinois State University, students in an English class are required to read only four books, one of which is How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Another is a book on Marxism by Frederick Engels, whom Vladimir Lenin called the finest scholar and teacher of the modern proletariat. Professor Christopher Brough describes capitalism as cancerous and violence. Next semester, Ohio State University may change the title of environmental citizenship to climate justice and require students to read the book, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, as one of only four required readings. Another of the four is Marx in the Anthro... How do you say that word, DeSantis? Anthropocene? Anthropocene. Anthropocene. I have no idea. Marx in the Anthropocene, towards the idea of degrowth communism. That book sold for $110 and argues for making Western countries poorer. Don't you love that when commie books go for 110 bucks a book? <laughs> Shouldn't it be free? The course will no longer focus on interdisciplinary perspectives on the environment, but instead on political strategies for climate change and capitalism. The professor warns ominously that carbon profiteers hope you fail to connect the dots and argues for overthrowing not only capitalism, but also the concept of sovereign rule. There you go. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of this stuff. But um, the uh, I, but, if, but remember, though, if you go to Cabela's and buy a fishing hat or read Thomas Sowell, you are the real terrorist. Just remember that. This is the big story of the day or the hour, I should say, brought to you by my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria. 
VenariaDental.com. Go see him today for your perfect smile. You deserve that beautiful smile. So go see him today, VenariaDental.com. Uh, here is a clip today of the speaker. You have that one, Matt? So the speaker, Mike yeah, Johnson. Yeah, I got it. It's ready to go. They had a uh, meeting today regarding the looming government shutdown, aid for Ukraine, the border, et cetera, et cetera. Take a listen. Thank you. Thank you all for staying. We had a, um, a, a couple of meetings there. It was uh, frank and honest. I think we need more frank and honest conversations on Capitol Hill. So I was happy to participate in this. We did uh, that as a group. And then I had a uh, one-on-one for a period of time with the president, just he and I in the Oval Office. Uh, let me say this. When I showed up today, my purpose was to express what I believe is the obvious truth. And that is that we must take care of America's needs first. When you talk about America's needs, you have to talk first about our open border. I've been, I believe, in uh, maybe 20-something states over the last several weeks, going around the country, uh, appearing at events with my colleagues, and we're hearing from the American people of all parties and all persuasions and all cities and all states who feel this acutely, they understand the catastrophe at the border is affecting everyone. And it is top of mind for all the American people for that reason. So I brought that issue up repeatedly today in that room and and again one-on-one with the president. I think that's our responsibility uh, to bring that up. The other big priority for our country, of course, is the funding of our government. And we have been working in good faith around the clock every single day for months and, and weeks and over the last several days quite literally around the clock to get that job done. We're very optimistic. I I hope that the other leaders came out here and told you the same. We believe that we can get to agreement on these issues and prevent a government shutdown. And that's our first uh, responsibility. Uh, You also heard, I'm sure, that there was um, discussion about the supplemental uh, spending package. And uh, I was very clear with the president and all those in the room that the House is actively uh, pursuing and uh, investigating all the various options on that. And we will address that in a timely manner. But again, the first priority of the country is our border and making sure it's secure. I I believe the president can take executive authority right now today to change that. And I told him that again today in person, as as I've said to him many times, publicly and privately over the last several weeks. It's time for action. It is a catastrophe and it must stop. And we will get the government funded and we'll keep working on that. So we'll have more for you. But the real threat to America, as we know, not just Putin, not just Xi Jinping, there are other threats looming everywhere. As Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer points out today at the White House, cut 18. And the boldest leaders, the boldest autocrats of the world, the Putins, the Xi's, the presidents of North North (laughs) Korea, Nope, North Carolina. I like the governor of North Carolina, actually. Yeah, it's the governor of North Carolina. No question about it, I think. Um, and by the way, Representative Scott Perry, who was on the show, I don't have a chance to play the full clip, but he did mention to Maria Bartiromo that um, they may not invite Biden to the State of the Union address until the border is secured. Remember, the president does not have to give a speech in the chamber of the House. It's their house. They invite the president to come. And he may not unless the border is secured. All right, we got more to talk about before we end the show today. Still more to come. Don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHD and the Odyssey app. I guess we're going to have to leave some of this stuff on the table for tomorrow. Bummer. I'm running out of things. Running out of things. Um, Michigan primary is tonight. 
I guess we will find out who wins. I wonder if Nikki Haley is going to pull off an upset. <clears throat> I wouldn't bet on it. No? No. Oh, my God, really? Oh, my gosh. You know, oh, it's devastating. <laughs> Ooh, don't do it. Please don't do it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Probably true. Even if she does win, most of the delegates are being handed out at a state convention, I think, next week. So, And they're all going to Trump, basically. She's not going to win. No, I'm saying even if she did, it wouldn't matter. She's not going to win. There's no chance. That's interesting. No, it's not interesting. <laughs> I'm not going to win. Um, I don't have time. We're on, what are we at, basketball tonight? Is that why? No, it's just uh, this, the six o'clock hour has a lot of commercials in it. Yeah. Oh. Because we don't carry Levin, but we still have to play his spots. Ah, I see. Yes, right. Except when I'm on for Levin, in which case then we do carry Levin. Correct. So when I fill in for Levin, we technically carry Levin. When I don't fill in for him, we don't. Until seven. Yes. And then there's basketball sometimes. Sometimes. <clears throat> but not this week, which stinks. Yeah. It really does. Well, let's hope Penn State or Temple can make a run in a... Their conference tournaments and I'm hoping a, they both do, and they play every night. I hope they play each other. In the, I mean, they'll in the finals. They're the yeah. bottom feeders of their conference, so they'll be playing first. Well, that's okay. I'm all right with that, I guess. Um, I don't really know what to do with the next minute. I don't have much to say. <laughs> it's just a minute. The minute it goes by so fast. How about we play Winsome Earl Sears? You want to do that? I don't know if we have enough time for No time it. for that? Uh, that's no time more for than nothing. a minute, yeah. All right, we'll have to get back no to No man's tomorrow. land right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any clips to offer you that are like in the 30-second range. I know. This is awkward. It's like one of those things. So what we'll do is we'll just say the clip of Cat Kamek is posted on social media. Can you send that to me so I can post it on Instagram? Yeah. And, Podcast um, is up too. What's that? Podcast is up too. Podcast is up as well. We'll put up Tanya Gould. I look particularly good in that picture with her. I have my jacket off. I look quite uh, thin if I do say so myself. All right. Um, happy birthday to all the wonderful Zulu Army members that we mentioned earlier today. Have a great rest of your night. The great one, Mark Levin, is up next. We're back tomorrow from 3 until 7. In the meantime, keep the conversation going on Twitter. At Rich Zioli. Thank you for listening. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time, baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.